Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got the Beef, the podcast devoted to the greatest hamburgers of all time. I've got it! I got it right! Yay! <laughs> Yay! We're going to talk about the ga- the big game burger over at Arby's and uh, see what it's like to combine elk and bison meat together. Also, we'll uh, conclude... Whoa. Oh, well, I guess we're done with this episode and we're moving on to the other episode, which is called We Got the Beef, the podcast devoted to teen entertainment from the 80s and beyond. <laughs> I'm your host, Michael, and Mindy's on the other side. I was just thinking, like, we're going to have to create a whole new production. Like, <laughs> what do you even call that? I don't know. The uh, I just had a weird beef, barbecue beef burger onion ring meal with potatoes that were deep fried, and it was wonderful, but it wasn't very much. I was disappointed. That's the closest we're going to get to talk about meat. <laughs> hmm. All right, so this episode we're covering, now look. On paper, this looks like a weird combo, and I had trouble trying to find something for... Technically, they're both thrillers, but one's a little bit more on the drama edge, and one's a little kind of like that cheesy from hell kind of uh, genre of the 90s. Um, But there are more similarities than you would think. Uh, It's like the juxtaposition of two unlike elements in, in one way, but not... Uh, the Firstborn from 1984 and uh, The Good Son uh, from 1993. And uh, we're going to go ahead and start. We didn't flip a quarter. We're just going to go chronologically and discuss Firstborn, um, an absolute favorite of mine since even the first time I saw it, like, like in the middle of the night I saw it on like TNT. And I was astounded by it. And I was desperate for years to find a copy of this because the VHS was... 50 bucks and if I ran to a copy of course I'm going to sell it. I can't I can't hold on to a $50 movie. And uh, thankfully Olive Pictures did put it out on Blu-ray recently and mm, it's exquisite. Well, I saw it for the first time one week ago. Yeah, and you had never even heard of it, right? I don't think so. Yeah, it's it's one of those that always sat in the back of my mind. I saw it like in the early 90s. Um, by yeah. myself, and I didn't tape it like a numbskull. I didn't tape it. I just, I just was watching in the middle of the night, and like I said, it was so hard to find. The only times I ever uh, found it on VHS was, you know, long after we went, and, you know, moved in different places and stuff like that. So yeah, you never got to see a copy. Um, what did you think? I mean, just my general impression. Yeah, like, did you, th- I didn't hype it up too much, I hope, and or, or you know, go on about it too much, but no, it is one of my favorites. No, no, you didn't. You just said, oh, this is a good movie, it's it, 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 not the most obvious pairing, but I think it'll work. I mean, it's pretty good. I, like I said, I've never seen it. I thought I had seen all, all of the movies with Corey Haim. Um, I did not recognize the... Guy who played the older son. Um, of course, you know most of the other people are pretty solid, and there's even you know some cut cameos from some pretty big names yeah. that weren't doing much yet in 1984. But um, you know, I my main thought was I feel like Peter Weller plays a lot of menacing type people, but is that even true? Yeah, I think uh, so. He's a very hard guy to cast. I think a lot yeah. of studios don't even know what to do with him, especially even after like Robocop. 
He's very unusual looking. His mannerisms, yeah. what I don't like is somewhere in the late 90s, all of a sudden, he became loud as fuck. I don't know if he chose to do that or he just kept getting cast that way. But it's like he, he yeah. had that moment that Pacino had. You know, where it's uh, all like, yeah. yeah. He used to be very controlled, very subdued, and all of a sudden, just one day, every... subtle, like nuance, you know? Yeah, I don't know what it is, um, but you know, he's always been a cult item, you know, a cult actor or whatever, because of like Buck Rubanzai, and definitely because of Robocop oh, and stuff like that. Sure. But um, this is a really interesting performance from him. Uh, I I kind of wish I had seen it again for the first time. Because I knew what was coming. But I yeah. like the fact that... I'm guessing in your head, you were probably like, is this just like a real serious drama about dealing with divorce? What is this? Because every well, half hour... I, fi- I figured it had be based on the pairing and your choice that it had to take a dark turn. But I wasn't... Otherwise, I would... But I wouldn't have expected it otherwise, you know? Yeah, it's it's one of these where it starts every half hour it changes. So the first half hour is just building up and knowing the core cast. Yeah. And you see a family that's barely holding together. The mother who's frustrated, the brothers who fight, they give the mother a hard time. Corey Hames' character is constantly getting into fights and stuff like that. And then at the half hour point, there's a big change because they find out that there's no way that their parents are getting back together because he's moving on and he's getting uh, uh, married to someone new. Mm. And that changes everything for her because now she feels broken and that she desperately needs someone now. It's not light dating. It's like immediately from zero to 60 with this relationship. Yeah, she she like acts super spontaneously kind of maybe feeling desperate and clings to like the first person who gives her any attention. Yeah. And I wanted to say too, that I I honestly, like maybe I haven't seen that many movies with her after all, but I don't really remember seeing Terry Garr in a serious role. Yeah. Well, uh, two years before this or two or three she had done a very expensive movie with Francis Ford Coppola called One from the Heart that was a massive, massive flop. It, it put him oh. in a bankruptcy and uh, nearly destroyed his career, and I can't find it anywhere. It's on DVD, but it's very, very expensive, and I think that was the first time that someone had cast her in a dramatic role. Um I don't know if she got apprehensive, like just cautious with taking dramatic roles after that, because from yeah. you know, we we mostly know her for you know comedic roles for the rest of her career. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and this one didn't do well either. It it only cost eight million instead of I think what the thirty or forty that one from the heart cost. Um, mm-hmm. But also not very successful, and so I can see why she walked away because it just wasn't working for her. Uh-huh. She, yeah. she was good. I was impressed. Yeah, and she plays the heartbreak, and then she plays the confusion of where she's going to go in life and latching on to this. It's ironic that she latches on to the leech, if that, that phrasing makes sense. Um, yep. And then and then watching her have to, like, where, where she's just, like, broken. She's making all these excuses and then realizing that she's just at that tipping point where she's going to forever lose her family, lose her uh, who she was. 
mm-hmm. and become this drug addict and criminal, basically, uh, with delusions. So these fucking dreams are delusional. Do you do you think that um, that whole restaurant, whatever it was, the idea that they were coming up with, um, was real, or was he just still manipulating her to get more money? Oh, I'm pretty sure that he was manipulating her the entire time. She might have believed it, because, I mean, I'm sure that she had an inkling that something was up with him, but I don't think until the end she knew who he really was, because I don't I don't think that she was a bad person. She wasn't like, oh, this sounds fun. Let's just get into a life of crime. Like, <laughs> she had no idea what he was really doing with their yeah. money. And, and she just got too involved too quick. And it caught up with her. And and then there's the thing where, like, so he, he gets into cocaine dealing. And I'm... That's the part I couldn't figure out. Was he so delusional and he thought that's how he's going to open the restaurant? Or is he just another guy with these big ideas but no no real understanding of how to do them? He is a low-level con artist. Kind of like the way Steve Martin is in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. He doesn't have the imagination. He doesn't have the complex in- yeah. intellect to come up with... Like He comes up with ideas... But he has no idea how to make it reality, so he gets angry, he gets frustrated, and he does really stupid things. Or was his plan always to be a player in the drug world and he was manipulating her? I don't honestly know, but I have a feeling that he never had very, you know, good intentions. Yeah. But I think know, that he is probably a, you know, a bad guy, a criminal at his core, and... That's really who he was. Yeah, and he but knew that. but I love the fact that he's a fucking loser too. Even the guys that he's trying to sell the drugs to is like this guy's just fucking full of it. You know, he, he's just a wannabe. Mm-hmm. He's never gonna. And then that triggers another level of his rage. So it's a slow build into the 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 big finale where they have a big fight in the chase and stuff like that. Um, instead of like with the Good Son or a lot of these movies of the 90s where they're always they've always been sociopaths the plan was there the whole time or whatever it seems like he's just stumbling his way through yeah I don't know it's like was he always a villain or did he just get you know pushed yeah um, by being insulted and you know, disrespected or not being, you know, not being feared or respected by, you know, the kids and by the other criminal people that he got, you know, just kept pushing him. To, yeah. The only thing he knows to how to do, the only thing he knows how to do is manipulate. That's it. He, he is, he has nothing else. And so I think yeah. the world sees that, especially with these kids. And God damn it, these are smart kids. Especially in the 80s when a lot of the movies treated these kids like they were fucking dumbasses. These are more in line with like what kind of a John Hughes was trying to do with younger actors. Yeah. Like give them some sort of sense of agency, give them real dialogue, that they're more than just kids who want to fuck and party, you know? Yeah. And yeah. They did not treat them like they did not. They were not treating them like they were stupid, and and honestly, like I, the some of the, the dialogue is so good. I just was like, you know, uh, 
really impressed or was like laughing so hard at like the freaking sass on on like the younger one especially just like damn can't run any, you can't get anything by this fucking kid yeah this is Corey ames first movie uh, he had just done some local Canadian TV stuff, and I just like hit the ground running. I think with this, and this of course leads to Silver Bullet and and uh, Lucas and Lost Boys or whatever like this. But you can see from like his first big performance that he's got charisma. Mm-hmm. And spades. And I do. I like Christopher uh, Collette, and he didn't do a whole lot. Uh, before this, he had done Sleepaway Camp, then straight into Firstborn, and then a Manhattan Project. And then basically the movies were done, and then the only other thing that I know, he did TV here and there, but he did uh, that Langoliers miniseries. He was uh, uh, the oh. regular cast on that. And I think Babylon 5, maybe? But then he just retired. He, I don't think he really wanted to be an actor as an adult. Tough out there for a pimp. I think of I think of Chris Makepeace is like that too, like where they just got a whole bunch of work at a certain mm-hmm. age and then just moved on with their life. I mean, I think it's fairly common. Yeah, you know, um, hot for a minute. I think I think acting wise, he does have the power, but visually, I can see why maybe um, studios or directors didn't cast him as a lead because he doesn't really have that thing. You know what I mean? Especially in the whole age of the Brat Pack, he doesn't look like he fit into what they were trying to cast back then. Yeah, I do think that they like did a really good job of uh, like casting people who actually look like they're fucking related. Yeah, or well, also the, the or look the right age. I mean, you got Baby Robert Downey yeah. Jr., Sarah Jessica Parker, and I can't remember his name, JD something, whatever, the one that would host all those kids' game shows, uh, like Funhouse. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, like, again, the second you see Robert Downey Jr., you're like, that's a fucking star. He's got it, even though he's only in it for me five yeah. minutes. The bastard. <laughs> uh, this is directed by Michael Apted. And Michael Apted is a really interesting British director because he likes to dabble in every single kind of genre. He refuses to get tied down. Um, but looking at before this, so his big breakout was Coal Miner's Daughter. And then he does a comedy with John Belushi called Continental Divide, a murder thriller called Gorky Park, and then Firstborn. And it gets just like there's Gorillas in the Mist, Thunderheart. um, Oh, that's all over the place. Yeah, Blink, Nell, The World Is Not Enough. He directed a fucking Bond movie, you know? Um, Wow. That that Enough movie with Jennifer Lopez. Uh, And then (laughs) Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, just it's a really interesting career that he refuses to get tied to one thing. Kudos, sir. Yeah, but if you also said, hey, to the general person, a Michael Apted film, like, who? <laughs> he has no signature. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's a really... Yeah, is that better or worse? It's hard to say. Yeah, it's a really good movie, I think, and it is going out of print because Olive Pictures is shutting down, so I don't know if someone else will pick it up, but for right now, no one is. So if you are interested in seeing the movie, because it's not streaming anywhere right now, as far as I know, you pick it up because it's probably about $12, $13. I, I absolutely adore the film. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, glad that I uh, was introduced to it. I'm a little surprised that I hadn't seen it before this point, but yeah. um, yes, 
I love and Good play. the spoilers when he does get defeated and he just kind of wanders out of the house, kind of like just a yeah. slump. It just reiterates that he's not a real villain, that he's just a fucking mentally unstable loser. He's still a loser. Yeah. And, it, and in the fact yes. that it finally, finally brings the family together, because from the minute you start this film, they're already out, like just barely holding together. And then they're, you know, like, that's them. They're together now. Did you notice that there's a... Yeah, like... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, yeah. It's like, in a way, does he do them a favor because he pushes them together with his fucking nonsense? Yeah, it, it's a weird... Know. Yeah, it's an unintended consequence. Yeah. Um, there is a sequence in this movie, the same in The Good Son, but different way that it plays out. And it's the shooting of an animal in the woods. And oh, sure. Because in The Good Son, there's that sequence, and it's played out like, yeah, Macaulay Culkin fucking intended to kill that thing. He feels no remorse. And in this one, Corey Haim's just kind of fucking around and doesn't realize what he's doing until he has done it. You know what I mean? Like that kind of impulse control problem, which he actually had in real life. Um, and he plays I mean, it. I think that's pretty common for young people, yeah. especially boys. Um, but he has that thing where he's just kind of curious and he's farting around. I don't know if he intended on hitting it, but once he does, he's like, oh shit, what have I done? And I really yeah. like the fact that those scenes played that same exact concept, but out they played it out differently. The regret yeah. and then the, uh, the hidden sinister element of the good son. And now let's talk about the campy one, which gives, I'm seriously though, it's so fucking entertaining and God damn it, Elijah Wood gives such a good performance in this, The Good Son, which I think is... That's the thing is, it's like, it's his show. Yeah, it is. It's, well, you were telling me, and I didn't know it at the time, that Macaulay Culkin was not originally cast as the villain. Yeah. And it's funny because, yeah, you watch the movie and you go, yeah, he's the one who got paid like $8 million, but it's clearly not, he's not the main character. No, I think that he, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't even about him. It was his dad, you know, wanted him to play something different to try to, you know, uh, build an actual career and not get typecast or not, you know, be a one hit wander or whatever yeah i mean the logic behind it makes sense and you know um i i don't think he 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 knew that his son was like fuck this shit like a year and a half later he's like i don't want to do this anymore i'm done and i'm keeping my money bitch (laughs) well i mean you know what do you expect when you have horrible parents that that take advantage of you and your siblings yeah you know yeah, it's, you know, I can't, who could blame the guy for walking away from that? Yeah, and the movie cost way more, and look, maybe it wouldn't have been a hit the way it was set up originally. Um, so yeah, it's, and it's weird that Michael Lehman, the director of, who had, he had just come off of Hudson Hawk and Heathers, and he's going to do The Good Son. Was he going to play campy? Was he going to play comedic or like black comedy? I don't know. Or was he going to play this straight up as a thriller? It's very interesting. Dude. I mean, both of those previous movies are a bit campy. Yeah. Uh, Mary Steenburgen was originally supposed to be the mom. Um, and then, of course, like Jesse Brad. And then it, it just got delayed. So then Steenburgen and the director moved on. And uh, then we got uh, Joe, Joe Rubin, Joseph Rubin, um, to come in and direct. And he had come off of doing like the stepfather and 
uh, Jacob's Ladder. So the guy knows thrillers. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think- it definitely could have taken, I mean, definitely could have been more ridiculous. Yeah, it could have been, but also I'm curious about what Je- Jesse Bradford's performance would have been. Mm-hmm. And part of me, like, you were, you, were, you were saying, like, you didn't believe Macaulay Culkin and something about it, like, I, it's, it's just robotic. Yeah, but I almost wonder if it's intentional, but also it's, um, it's, it seems like stunt casting. Yeah, I get that. The, um, cause, I mean, I think that's entirely the point. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I think it would have been more interesting if Jesse Bradford had been cast because we know nothing about him. He came with no baggage. And, um, and then maybe the commercials wouldn't have sold you, hey, this is the, you know, this, this is the gimmick casting that we're doing here. And, you know, that's what, but then again, it made $50 million. So what the fuck do I know? Yeah, I mean, we can only speculate. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. I'm not even saying that Macaulay Culkin's a bad actor. I'm just saying that to me, it just felt very robotic. Like he was just, he was literally just reciting yes. words. Yeah, I felt like he was just told to say the dialogue and he did it. I, I'm curious though, if, you know, since his dad was involved, it didn't work like that. Because there's that whole joke now about how there's a bit of like psychotic behavior out of his character from Home Alone. You know, and just like what would happen oh, if he absolutely. got... Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, I was like, well, maybe they saw that. I was like, well, no, wait, that's not how that worked because his dad got involved. Um, but maybe they saw, maybe they thought that, well, we can see how that could work. Yeah, and, She and, is unhinged at moment. And both movies deal with a new person coming in and disrupting the little system they have going, whereas, you know, in Firstborn, it's the bad guys coming into the family. Where and this one, it's the good kid is coming in and disrupting and well, shaking things up. The interesting thing is, is that in both situations, the core unit isn't healthy e- either. Yeah, <laughs> there's a bunch of issues in the core before the outlier is introduced. Yeah, it's to it's, shake it up, you know. Because, like, in, in, in Firstborn, Christopher Collette is the one that's kind of fighting back, but he's fighting back for the right reasons. Whereas in this one, Macaulay Culkin is fighting back because things are starting to unravel. The, the, the world that he built about killing his little brother is starting to crack, and he's worried. So, you know, and he keeps trying to outplay him and make him look like he's the bad guy and he's insane. I swear to God, I want to punch that little fucker right in the face. I was so frustrated. <laughs> Yeah. It's just like when he like goes to therapy and he's fucking sitting there talking about fucking messing with that lady. You're just like, yeah, oh, yeah. Good on, Lord. Dude. Um, but yeah, there's I, the one thing I always remember. Cause here's the weird thing is this is one of those where I read the book first. Is that weird? Ooh. Did you read the I book? Know. Maybe. I don't know. I just I remember. The ice skating scene. And I still have no idea how the fuck they filmed this. I watched it and I'm like looking closely for a stunt person or a fake set. No, it looks like it was really done. It couldn't have been with... And there's no digital mapping for the face yet. Whoever put it together did an amazing job of convincing me that there was a child under that ice. Yeah, well... 
Movies are magic. Yeah. <laughs> and though, when he puts his hand out, it's so lame. He doesn't look like, ugh, ugh. I was like, kid, fight a little bit harder. Reach for his fucking hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Elijah Wood just walks away from this. Holy shit, he steals this movie. But Wendy Crewson, I'm telling you, pretty good. I know. Pretty good. Pretty good, you know, uh... Everybody in this movie's got, you know, something. Yeah. Something hanging over them that they're, you know, that are that's causing conflict. And then it's just like, and then you start seeing all the little clues, and you're like, he's not the only one who sees this. Uh, they're just all, like... You know, the dad's fucking delusional. The the daughter, like, I don't understand why the daughter didn't, like, say anything or hadn't been uh, shown any signs of being afraid of him up to that point. Like, that doesn't necessarily make sense to me. I mean, did he really just not... Did he just feel so threatened by, you know, this cousin coming into his universe that he just becomes unhinged? I don't know. I mean, we know well, that he's well, crazy from from early on because he is responsible for the death of his younger brother. Yeah. It's so... Here's the other thing is I didn't notice it the first time. Like, I haven't seen this since it came out on video. Um, uh-huh. But I didn't notice something in this that I'm not going to name names. But I had a friend who had the same exact behavior with his little sister, and I never oh. even noticed it until the second time I watched it. And I was like, oh, fuck. How did I not even notice like that kind of behavior? That's messed up. Um, yeah. That was a weird, weird callback to something from decades ago. Um, but, you know, there's always like that in thing. You, in your memory bank, you mean? Yeah, like it just came back rushing. Oh. into my, Yeah. And it's so funny because... Like, I guess, in general, siblings kind of, like, poke at each other or whatever and uh, irritate each other. But there's, like, that other level yeah. where it's, like, kind of, like, squirmy-wormy. Like, do you really just hate your sibling? What the fuck is going on here? Right, exactly. Yeah. But um, I, I think it is it is campy. But that's kind of like what Joe Rubin does. Like, his movies are always kind of campy because he also did, like, Dreamscape. And what's that one? Uh, uh, Julianne Moore. I think it's called The Forgotten where her son disappears and is taken by aliens or something. They're always they're always highly entertaining, good movies, but they're always like a sense of camp. Oh, and Sleeping with the Enemy, he uh, he did that as well. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, so you know that kind of like '90s thriller. There's always a little bit of cheese in there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, in general though, what's funny is I thought both movies were shot in Canada because so much of them had Canadian cast members, but no, they just happened to go to Canada cast. And they shot around New York or Maine or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that ending, holy shit. Talk about, you know when people bring up that, oh, it's a total Sophie's Choice? This is a total Sophie's yeah. Choice. Total Sophie's Choice. Yeah. But ultimately, like, the yeah, the pressure that was put upon her, but secretly, not so secretly, she had been suspicious for a super long time about what really happened and yeah. that's well and he tried to kill his know, own mother and she's still like hemming and hawing and I was like what the fuck 
Mom, please, I love you. Like, it's, how fucking manipulative are you? You're not even, like, believable at this yeah, yeah. point. Hey, that's the thing. I, I kind of wonder if his flat reading is intentional. No, it can't be intentional yeah. because he's trying to convince. And if you read it flat, it clearly you had to be a moron not to be convinced. So that does seem like bad acting. And the and the director probably was too afraid to say anything because the whole film is relying on him and <laughs> his psychotic dad. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Um, it's not uh, a bad. It's not a bad movie, and it's not a terrible performance. It just doesn't feel. Honest. Authentic, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Authentic. Yeah, that's the word to use. Um, all right, so that is it, everybody. We got one more Halloween episode to go, and then we'll be done for the season. Well, I mean, the Halloween season, not the regular season. You know what I mean. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you very much. And Mindy, thank you. You're welcome. Goodbye. Plop.